0: kind of amazing to me after 40 records, almost 40 years of recording under my own name that there's really just kind of one record which is the record 8081 that's more or less in a traditional straight ahead kind of setting and there's no real deep reason for that. I mean, even at the time I did 8081, I was 5 or 6 years into you know the thing of making records and and even then it seemed weird. it's like wow, I've already done uh, a bunch of records, and I haven't made just kind of a straight ahead quintet record like that and um you know now another thirty years has gone by, and I'm just kind of getting around to it again. I think that part of the reason for that is that I've always you know felt like a big part of my responsibility uh, was to try to come up with alternate ways of thinking about things, you know, with different kinds of bands and different kinds of settings. And, you know, certainly over the, the years, I've done a lot of different kinds of things. Even playing trio, guitar trio, is somehow an alternative setting to me from playing in just a straight ahead rhythm section with a horn type thing, which was kind of, you know, the way that I, I started out playing. I mean, I, you know, most of, of the playing I did in the early years around Kansas City was, you know, playing in a, in a rhythm section with a horn player. When I finally did make 8081, that record, I think because of who was on it and, and the, the kinds of tunes and some of the things that were introduced on that record, uh, really did have kind of an impact. I mean, I know from just reading about it, a lot of people were affected by that record. And from hearing, too, I can hear a lot of guitar, tenor-type records that were clearly influenced by that record. So. I guess I've always thought if I'm ever going to do more like that, uh, it kind of has to be up to that standard. And in fact, Mike and Dewey and Jack and Charlie and I talked over the years many times about you know doing another one and you know sort of doing ninety ninety one and you know two thousand two thousand and one, whatever it would be. And of course, with Mike and Dewey gone now, that's that's not going to ever happen. I knew that this was kind of on the radar a little bit for me and I'm a big fan of the music I'm always listening to who's out there and who's playing what and for you know really ever since he came on the scene Chris Potter has been you know really somebody for me I mean he's he's just kind of functioning on a a different level from just about anybody else on the instrument and besides that he's really emerged to me as just one of the great musicians of our time i mean not just as a as an incredible saxophone player but as a composer, as a sort of force on the scene and we had the occasion to play together a few years ago when Antonio Sanchez invited both of us to play on his debut record and right away I could see that we would we would have a lot of fun playing together and so that kind of you know has been sort of simmering on the back burners for me and Chris indicated to me as well that it was something he had always wanted to do too so this past year, it was sort of like the, the possibility of doing some concerts over the summer came up, and you know, I thought about doing them trio. And I thought, well, you know, wh- what about going there? What about like kind of looking again at this sort of eighty eighty one type thing, you know, uh, or or a, a you know kind of quartet setting. And uh, I got in touch with Chris, and Chris was very excited about the idea. So, you know, then it was a matter of finding the right rhythm section. Antonio was a natural call because we both played with Antonio a lot. And I've played a lot with Ben Williams in the last couple of years, too, who's one of my favorite younger musicians. And it just kind of fell right into place so then it was the the fun part which was sort of figuring out what we're going to play you know and and one of the things for me as a a band leader over all these years i mean going back to the early 70s has been you know the the fun aspect of it is getting together a, a bunch of really talented musicians and then trying to find sort of filtered through my own sense of things what it is everybody's good at and and what what we can do together Um, that would be something special and sort of resonant to me and and then write some music for that group of people. This was particularly fun because the range of possibilities is so wide. I mean really with those guys we could do just about anything. But at the same time one of the things I think that made 8081 and hopefully many of the other records a good record is is coming up with a thing that that sort of defines what that band is going to be. That's an area for me that's very important that I spend a fair amount of time thinking about. It's sort of like, yeah, we could play this, or we could play that, or we could play this, or we could play that. And this guy's very good at this, and this guy's very good at that. But what is it really going to be? Because you don't want it to be just this sort of broad range of, of sort of nothing with a point of view. So the tunes end up defining what the project is going to be. And in this case, I wrote a lot of music. I wrote about 25 tunes in a... You know, period of a few months, knowing that this record date was coming up, and and we played all of them, and uh, we we did a couple concerts before the recording, where we, I kind of sifted it down a little bit, and then in the recording session itself, we recorded um, about 15 tunes, and it was pretty clear which ones were kind of the defining ones of what the band's sound was going to be, and where everybody kind of really uh, found something in the pieces that they could really talk about at length and that ends up being what the record is and uh, at this point I'm talking right now having just finished the record before we've done the tour I know that this band live is going to be unbelievable and um, in a lot of ways the music that I wrote I tried to keep it sort of simple in a way Um, you know there's always the temptation with people who are virtuoso players to play some really tricky complicated stuff and I really resisted that. Uh, more and more, I'm, I'm finding the, the challenge of simplicity really trumps to me the challenge of sort of coming up with some wacky concept that you have to explain in a uh, math formula or something like that. You know, to me that's less and less interesting and, and the more kind of basic thing of coming up with a platform that really allows people sort of make up their own problems within it and to do that effectively is actually quite difficult but that way of thinking about coming up with music has I guess also because I've written so much really complicated music in the last few years that uh, kind of coming up with with more basic kinds of solutions rather than starting with complex problems and then sort of simplifying them later was the way to go for me this time. Not to say that the music is simple, because in fact it's it's deceptively uh, complex sometimes uh, in terms of just the form and the harmonies and so forth, but um, that was the basic operating mechanism for me to get started with. Well, a lot of people know that I grew up in Missouri, in a little town called Lee Summit, Missouri. And right next to our town is a town called Unity Village. And in fact, a lot of people may recognize that name because on my first record all those years ago, Bright Side's Life, there was a tune called Unity Village. Unity Village is the home of the Unity School of Christianity, which was formed by the Fillmore family. And my family and the Fillmore family really go back, you know, it's getting close to 100 years now. I'm not a member of the Unity Church. My grandfather was, and my mom was very closely associated with, with the church. But more than the church itself, it's the place and this feeling of the place, and even the feeling of the community that surrounds the church, which was very influential for me and my family. And this ties directly to why the band is called Unity Band. Every Sunday evening throughout just about every summer I can remember, there was a Unity Band concert out at Unity Village. My brother played in the band for probably 10 years. My dad played in the band when he was younger. I even played in the band playing French horn. A lot of people don't know that, that I'm a... Uh, I was a a very bad French horn player in junior high and high school. Um, And, you know, going out to Unity Village for the Unity Band concerts every Sunday throughout the summer was sort of part of growing up for me as a kid. This band was sort of put together to do a summer tour Um, at the time I'm speaking. It's spring of 2012. We're going to do several months of concerts coming up here to do all the summer jazz festivals in Europe and around the States. And in a lot of ways, I just was reflecting on that uh, Unity Band experience and sort of how I associate that with summer. And that sort of led to the name Unity Band. Having said all that, I think the word unity is a great word and a word that that really um, speaks to a lot of things that I feel strongly about. And particularly as a musician, I mean, I'm really looking and have, I think, devoted myself throughout the years that I've been playing to an idea of musical unity. There's been some really wacky terms that people have come up with. I mean, fusion is probably the dumbest most idiotic of them all, which was a marketing term uh, that some record company came up with that sort of stuck around. Even the word jazz, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody really likes or has ever really liked that word. To me, the musicians that I'm inspired by are musicians that sort of function in a way that allows them to sort of look at music as one unified thing. For me, there's not a big difference between what I love about Bach and what I love about Herbie Hancock, or what I love about John Coltrane and what I love about Stravinsky. I mean, you know, to me, there's much more that connects those things than what separates those things. And that's the way that I've always operated as a musician, is to try to think in a way that unifies things and doesn't separate things. So calling the record Unity Band made a lot of sense to me on that level too. And, you know, we can even go one step further and say, in this, you know, world that we live in, the more unity that we can find amongst ourselves is always going to be a good thing.